For decades, the picture of financial planning looked like this. Work hard and save your money. And eventually, you'll be able to afford a house and a comfortable retirement. But for many young Canadians, that picture is starting to look very different. Back in the day, yeah, you could get a house and everything, but you could put that same amount of work in, like right now, and you would not be able to get a house. You might be able to pay for some apartment months and some food, and that's about it. With all that hard work, it's you don't really see much for it these days. Welcome to The Great Disconnect, a podcast series from the Manitoba Financial Services Agency. This season, we'll talk about the financial obstacles facing young Canadians, and we'll dig into some of the ways they can take back control. I'm Ainsley Cunningham, Manager of Education and Communications with the Manitoba Financial Services Agency. In this series, we've talked about how rising costs, debt, and falling wages are shaping young people's financial future. In this episode, we'll explore how these factors are pushing some young people towards more high-risk investments. I'm a huge fan of investing. You know, I learned this habit of investing from my brother. Uh, he's working in a financial company in India. And from him, I learned how to invest in stocks, in bond market. Um, currently, I'm investing in cryptos too. Uh, that is not going good, but I eventually believe that it will go good. <laughs> For Varun, there's a strong incentive to pursue a high-risk, high-reward investment. His investments have helped pay his international student tuition at the University of Manitoba. I invested in stocks. I invested in uh, cryptos for the same reason. And in future, I'm thinking of entering into real estate market, like if I have the enough money uh, to diversify my portfolio. But other young people are wary of those high risks. My view on cryptocurrency is that uh, my impression of it is that it, it feels very high risk, um, high risk of getting scammed, high risk of, of losing your your money. And especially if you're a new investor, there's there's a lot of information out there um, on social media when it comes like, you know, Instagram, TikTok, different podcasts. It's hard to kind of know, you know, what's what's good information and what's not, what's good investment advice and what's not. So personally, I don't really know a lot. I think it's quite complicated. It's not as, um, it's not as clear-cut and I'm not sure if I'm comfortable investing in things that are not as clear-cut or pretty, pretty um, regulated as much as I would like them to. So personally, I've not invested because I don't understand as much about it right now. So what are the risks and what exactly is crypto? It's perhaps not surprising that the one crypto investor in this group would have an answer for that. I think it is a decentralized way of uh, handling money. Um, after the 2008 uh, crisis, uh, this new way of investing and handling money developed, which is more decentralized. Uh, generally, all the transactions go through one central server, which is handled by the central bank. But I think people generally these days don't uh, believe the central bank so much. And that is why they have uh, interest towards decentralized way of handling the money. And that is why the craze towards the cryptocurrency is going up. To really understand how cryptocurrencies work, though, we need to go back one more layer to blockchain. So when people talk about blockchain, they say it's a distributed timestamp ledger of encrypted records. I'm like, yeah, we're talking about a group text message. 
And they're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, because if I delete the, if I throw away my phone, that record, it still exists on your phone. It still exists on that unknown phone number 555. This is Samson Williams. Uh, I'm founder of Milky Way Economy, a think tank based in Washington, D.C. And when I'm not thinking about the future of the fifth industrial revolution, I am an adjunct instructor at uh, New Hampshire School of Law, um, as well as an instructor at Columbia University, where I teach on blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and the space economy. And so now that we've demystified blockchain, it's nothing more than a group text message. Uh, now we can get into what is money. Because often people, the easiest application of blockchain technology is uh, cryptocurrencies. So there's a variety of services out there in the year of our Lord 2022 that will make you a cryptocurrency out of blockchain in about six minutes. So it's no longer the technological awesomeness of blockchain that makes it a hurdle. You have plenty of services who will make you a block, who will make you a crypto in under six minutes. And so the question is, well, if you if anyone can make a crypto, why does the crypto have value? And this is where the students get really caught up where we have to explain not only to the students, but also adults. Money is a record of debt, full stop. Uh, I don't have a dollar on me, but if I had a piece of paper, that piece of paper, it just represents a record of debt. There's actually no intrinsic value in that piece of paper. And so what gives that paper value is that it's a there is a social a contract around that piece of paper or that coin that says this coin is worth X and we can trade it universally. Then it's like, okay, great. If the easiest application of blockchain technology is cryptocurrencies, do you want to make up money? Do you want to create money out of thin code? Then it becomes a branding exercise because why should I trust your money versus Moira's money? Now we understand that, oh, money particularly in a digital ecosystem, is a matter of faith, a matter of faith, branding, and reputation. For the young folks, catfish. Uh, if you, you're familiar with catfishing from online dating, et cetera, just remember catfish isn't, catfish is the art of the scam. It's not just for dating. It goes into so many parts of your life, particularly in a digital environment, you can get catfish for currency. You can get catfish for money. But on a deeper level, Williams says it's a matter of stoking people's fear of missing out and playing on their desperation. It's hard to be young because gas is through the roof, rent is through the roof. You have to think, look at the root cause. Why are people so emotionally vulnerable that they're susceptible to FOMO? High student loan debt, high unemployment, stagnant jobs, soul-crushing inflation. Those aren't actually the, the kid's fault. If you're 18 to 30, that's actually not your fault. That's your grandparents' fault. That's a conversation for later. Uh, and so now, given these factors, you, it looks like you have no opportunities for social, for upward social mobility, or even this idea, particularly in America, of the American dream of achieving that. And so you feel like a failure. And if you're on Instagram, all of your friends are successful. They're traveling the world. They're doing really cool stuff. Because the algorithm is conditioning your brain to think, to make you feel like you suck. And so I've come along and I tell you, I've got an amazing opportunity to help reverse your entire life because you're tired of being poor. All you need to do is buy my digital thingamajiggy, my crypto, and hold it, hodl it. We're going to the moon and I'm going to be your financial salvation. 
And now that you're scared, you're anxious, you're stressed, and for the low, low price of all of your savings and your rent money, you too can live this exotic lifestyle by buying my quote-unquote cryptocurrency. Winnipeg consulting psychologist Dr. Moira Summers says she's seen this narrative come up in her own work. That's a widespread feeling across many, many uh, categories of people right now, but in particular, it's strong in the Gen Z uh, folks, the the people hitting their 20s and looking around at a burning planet and at uh, just worrying that they, they're not going to have uh, the same kind of opportunities that other people had before them. We know that people involved in crypto, uh, because of that demographic anyway, are more likely to feel that way. But in particular, the ones who go into cryptocurrencies and um, blockchain kinds of things who who aren't necessarily super well-educated, they do have a high degree of FOMO, that fear of missing out. That's, that's really clear from the research. Um, there's certain, there's almost like an avatar of the young investor in this, that they, they do tend to be younger. They do tend to be enthusiastic about innovation. They tend to be suspicious of government and central banks. They have higher risk tolerances. They tend to be higher in novelty seeking. Um, they're bored. They're not interested in kind of the typical slow burn way of buy low, sell high, have long-term investment horizons. That is not this kind of investor at all. And when you add to that this this point that we're at in our in the economic cycle right now and the climate cycle, there are lots of people out there who just feel like this is one of the only ways they're going to get a kick at the can. And they can end up creating this message that if you're not um, if you're not doing this, you, I see this a lot on TikTok and Instagram, that if you're not involved in this, that somehow you're a dupe, that somehow you're you're not current and you're just you're just a sheep. This sense of desperation doesn't only pop up in people's approach to cryptocurrencies. It's also turned up in an extreme example of the rise of do-it-yourself investing. We've become a less equal society just over the last 10 to 15 years. So since the, the financial crisis, for many complicated reasons, um, certainly in the United States, but in, in many parts of the world. And so you, you would expect some resentment of, of wealth from people who uh, are much less likely to be able to afford a home in the United States, at least are much more likely to have student loans, uh, people and people who saw their parents uh, or their parents' friends struggle, lose their jobs, perhaps lose their homes even during the great financial crisis. And so you, but it, it's not so much a resentment of wealth. It's a resentment of the kind of cartoonish wealth, which is to them is represented by Wall Street. This is Spencer Jacob. I'm the editor of the Hurt on the Street column at the Wall Street Journal, which is the financial analysis and opinion column. And I'm the author of the book, The Revolution That Failed, GameStop, Reddit, and the Fleecing of Small Investors. Jacob first became aware of this phenomenon back in 2021 when the stock of a video game retailer called GameStop started to rise. And what I saw, uh, and uh, what I have three sons and one of them uh, brought it to my attention, he was a senior at university at the time, said, Dad, have you taken a look at GameStop? And 
this is before the the first headlines emerged, and he uh, told me that a friend of his had bought it, and lots and lots of people had bought the stock. Spurred by their dislike of Wall Street, an army of small investors on a Reddit forum bought shares in GameStop. In 2021, shares went up 1,700%. Other companies experienced rapid triple-digit increases in share prices. And some people posted on social media about how they were turning huge profits on their investments. So social media is algorithmic nature, and then specifically the, I mean, it was, it was TikTok, it was YouTube, it was, it was Reddit, though, to a large extent, where this one took off. And they all have their own algorithm. Some have a human-driven algorithm, some have a, a, a computer-driven one, but the result is always the same. Uh, and if you look at more follower-based uh, social media, like Twitter or Facebook or what have you, it... The, it, it takes a longer time to get to that result, but the result will be the same. Somebody who says crazy stuff and uh, who seems very cool is going to have a lot of followers and get a lot of attention, a lot of retweets, and the other person is not. Meanwhile, you had many young people who'd been introduced to sports betting through online platforms who suddenly had nothing to do in the pandemic. Jacob says the situation was an illustration of how much the investing landscape has changed for young people. So you had many, many pieces fall into place. It was really a perfect storm. You had this boom in sports gambling. Then you had uh, money being basically free or very close to free, interest rates being very low. And so you couldn't really make any kind of meaningful amount of money or any money by uh, by buying something very safe. And so you had this whole generation saying, you know, basically growing up, and taking, you know, buying the most far-fetched stuff, things that not only weren't making money, but didn't, you know, might not ever make money, but had the promise one day of revolutionizing exercise bikes or electric cars or batteries or uh, curing cancer or whatever. And so a lot of those, um, those bets became very popular. And those were the sort, exactly the sorts of stocks that became very popular with this young generation. And then you had a lot of people like me uh, saying, hey, hey, don't do that. That's not that safe. And then we look like fools because during the 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 months, especially after the um, the crash in stocks following the emergence of the pandemic, not only did stocks bounce back when everyone was very scared, but specifically those stocks bounced back. So 96% of stocks in the year after the stock market bottom of American stocks went up which is like, it's never been that high. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. You couldn't, not only could you not make a mistake, but the the dumber the thing you bought uh, or the more speculative the thing you bought, the better it did. And so all these, these kind of voices of reason uh, who anyway were not really cutting a lot of, uh, getting a lot of credibility with this young generation, you know, had absolutely no credibility. And you had people, you know, getting a million followers on TikTok, uh, you know, who had been investing for like three, four, five months who were making you know, stock recommendations, they turned out to be right. And in a self-fulfilling way, sometimes because they would make a recommendation and then it would go up because they had said it would go up. But despite the assurances of social media influences, many small investors in GameStop and other so-called meme stocks eventually lost out. I wrote a previous book about in- mistakes that investors make. And so this I saw eventually is very much a continuation of that because the people who who embarked on this kind of this journey, the small investors as a group have not done well, especially now that we, we're the, the kind of rubble uh, is, is all around us uh, of these bets. As a group, they did not do well financially, but they made a very big financial contribution to people on Wall Street who took no risk whatsoever. And it's a difficult message to, to um, 
convey to people because you don't like to um, to be told that you've been duped, that you've been had, that you were sort of a patsy. But uh, you know, you're in very good company because basically most retail investors uh, at one time or, or another are patsies by paying too much, by uh, by just our, our very nature, by being fearful when we should be greedy and greedy when we should be fearful. And you know, people, individuals, just for the most part, and I'm talking about 98% of people just are not wired to to do well as speculators. Uh, and, and that's what these people are doing. In other words, small investors, many of them young people, lost their shirts thinking they could outsmart the market, which Jacob said is hard to do. Investors do get do get fleeced regularly by being sold a bill of goods, by being told that you've got this. You were born an investor. You can outsmart Wall Street. Why settle for average? And and the truth is is the opposite. Uh, there's a very I, I didn't mention this in the book, but um, uh, a company that that got access anonymously to lots and lots of people's brokerage accounts to basically kind of pinpoint problems and stuff like that uh, showed that people who work in finance have significantly worse returns than school teachers in the United States. Um, school teachers don't think that they uh, are out there to beat the market very often. They're kind of confused by the market. And so they'll, they'll buy something and then just let let it sit, sit there and forget about it, which is, you know, doesn't sound very exciting, but it's, you know, and it's not very profitable for those companies unless they bought an overly high priced product, but it it, it is, you know, shown to be the most profitable strategy over the long run. Nonetheless, Jacob says there are both positives and negatives to the surge in interest in investing that meme stocks and cryptocurrencies have inspired in young people. It is a positive thing that you had people in their early 20s or even late teens opening up financial accounts that might not have done so. That, I think, is is good. Um, and in many cases, the amounts of money that people lost on meme stocks or buying crazy cryptocurrencies or whatever were meaningful to them in terms of their net worth, but not meaningful in terms of the wealth that they're going to amass over their lives. So if you've had a, a negative experience early on and you have your foot on the ladder by having a financial account, then I guess that could definitely be a good thing because, you know, you could say like, wow, I was, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy a book now uh, or, you know, or I'm going to just buy an index fund and, and look at it in a year. And then you'll have other people for whom it was actually extremely costly uh, because not only did they possibly lose money during this, but they became disgusted. So how can young Canadians interested in investing, including more risky investments, navigate the shifting landscape without getting disillusioned? Today, uh, young people are are more involved with investing, the advent of internet and social media. Uh, So the involvement is greater and uh, the risks thereby are greater as well. So as, as a regulator, it's important to uh, to protect our youth uh, in sort of these realms. This is Aryan Prashangi, legal counsel for the Manitoba Financial Services Agency. I think the main thing that uh, young investors should keep in mind is that whether they're investing in cryptocurrency or meme stocks or traditional equity stocks, uh, the foundations are the same. Um, you need to know your risk tolerance and stay within it. You need to understand what you're investing in. Another thing I'd like to add is that it is possible to invest in things like cryptocurrencies and meme stocks in a safe way. So, for example, in Canada, we have a number of registered platforms, um, crypto trading platforms that individuals can use to invest. 
And although that doesn't decrease the actual risk of investing in cryptocurrency, which I'll add again is, is very risky, um, it does reduce some of that risk related to, for example, hacking or or security issues or, or someone just kind of running away with your money. So that sort of goes back to the point of, of knowing uh, what you're investing in. And I would add to that uh, sort of knowing the platform you're investing in and who you're investing through. And it might sound a little bit boring, but really just knowing what you're investing in, understanding your own risk tolerance um, and, and staying within those limits are very important. I think in the context of, of sort of knowing your own risk tolerance and understanding what you're investing in, it's also having an investing plan. Uh, it's hard to sort of uh, know where you're going if if you don't know where you're going, if you don't have a plan. So if you're able to sort of plot out and, and uh, tell yourself that I'm going to invest this amount of money over this period of time in these types of assets, um, even that's better than sort of uh, investing based on emotion or sporadically or based on something you just read or you just heard um, and you just picked up the app and you decided, okay, I'm going to you know throw X amount of dollars into X coin. In other words, the combination of need, tied to the scale of the challenges young people are facing, and the amount of information out there can be paralyzing. But even in uncertain times, there are always ways young people can manage. In the next and final episode of the podcast, we'll hear why in a complex world, having a plan and understand the options helps young people navigate the future probably finish and say look yeah, no one cares more about your you know your financial future than yourself um so it's worth investing in some time in yourself i know it can you know it can be a little bit overwhelming at first uh but just the uh you know the feeling you'll get when you start learning about it i find it very addicting that's next time on the great disconnect <laughs>